This is Rob Reiner, and welcome to my comments on The Princess Bride. Act 3 Communications, that's Norman Lear's company, Norman Lear, uh, who basically owned the rights to The Princess Bride and put his own money up so that we could make this film. And a week before I went to London to start shooting, we didn't know if we had the financing. And uh, we finally um, were able to get it, and it was put together. Now, this little boy, Fred Savage, eventually became the boy who was in the Wonder Years. And the whole film was um, shot in England in, at Shepperton Studios, and even this scene uh, was shot at Shepperton. And uh, there's a little thing, I, mean, I don't think you can see it in this shot, but I'll point it out when we get to it. Um, Mark Knopfler, who did the music for the film, a great, brilliant musician from Dire Straits uh, basically said he would only uh, he would only do the music if I had the hat that I wore in Spinal Tap somewhere in evidence, and so you can, like, you can, like I say, you can't see it in this shot, but there'll be a shot in this in these sequences with Peter Falk, who's the plays the grandfather, where you'll see the hat that I wore. Let's see, maybe the camera's going to move around here. No, not yet. used to read to me when I was sick, and I used to read it to your father. And today... At any rate, this, uh, the one, I read this book when I was about 25 years old, Princess Bride, because I had been a huge fan of William Goldman's. My father gave me the book because Bill Goldman had given it to him. Uh, they had become friends when Bill Goldman um, wrote a book about Broadway called The Season. Uh, which looked at a particular season on Broadway and all the plays that had opened. My dad had a play uh, that opened called Something Different. And uh, Bill Goldman devoted a chapter in his book to that play, and they became friends. And he gave this to Bill Goldman uh, back, I think, when the, first, the book first came out, like in the early 70s, um, and uh, said, what do you think about making a movie out of this? And my dad said, well, he wasn't really, uh, you know, he didn't really, hadn't read it, but he gave me the book and said, you know, do you want to read it? I read it, and at the time it was uh, the, my, the favorite book of my life that I'd ever read at that point, and probably to this point. And so then, years later, when I was thinking about mo making movies, I went back and reread it, and it again spoke like to me. It was like as if Bill, Bill Goldman had been in my head and had written something that um, that was inside my head. So I went to him and uh, met with him, and he said, this is, this is the favorite book I've ever written in my life. Uh, I want it on my tombstone. Uh, what are you going to do with it? And I was shaking in my boots thinking, you know, he was going to you know, really criticize me. There's Robin Wright, by the way, the most beautiful, you know. She's incredibly beautiful, and um, we had to find the most beautiful girl in all the land, and I think we found it with her, who not only was beautiful, but acted and did a wonderful British accent and uh, was the perfect embodiment of the Princess Bride. At any rate, Bill Goldman was n totally, um, uh, you know, challenging me as to whether or not I could pull this off, and um, I, when I told him, uh, that I basically wanted to honor his book and be as faithful as possible. 
he agreed to let me do it. At that time, I'd only made Spinal Tap. That was the only picture I'd made, and I actually had finished um, The Sure Thing, but it hadn't come out yet. And he saw those two pictures, and then he agreed to let me, to let me do it. So um, I got a chance to work with my favorite writer, and uh, um, he entrusted his his favorite book to me, and. Um, I was very grateful that he did that. You still can't see that hat, so I'll have to maybe find a shot where it comes out. At any rate, this was all shot uh, on a country farm in uh, Derbyshire, which is in the northern part of England. And we were up there for about five weeks. Hear this now. I will always come for you. How can you be sure? This is true. Now, of course, there's Carrie Elwes, who, um, again, we had the perfect match here with Carrie and, and, and Robin Wright. Carrie's uh, very reminiscent of Douglas Fairbanks Jr. We needed somebody who had that swashbuckling image, and Carrie was perfect for this part. Um, in casting him, it's interesting, we uh, met him. Um, just after there was Chernobyl, and there was, we had to go to, to uh, Germany to meet him there, and there was talk about being fallout in that area, and there was concern about people, uh, you know, getting becoming radioactive. But we 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 uh, uh, we risked being permanently contaminated just so we could meet with Carrie Elwes, and it was uh, I think it was a smart thing to do because I don't think anybody else could have played this part. This was shot at Haddon Hall, which was in um, Bakewell, which is up in Derbyshire, which was an abandoned um, a castle that was built in 1086. Uh, it was built by uh, William the Conqueror for his illegitimate son. And um, those, if you look up the, the uh, this, uh, this parapet that, uh, that Humperdinck is now standing on. We built actually for the for the film. We added some uh, extra structural architectural elements. The one, if you look right up above there, that was all added to the existing Haddon Hall. And this was a uh, um, a national monument, and uh, people would come and, and and look at this and look through their guides, and they'd find all kinds of things that were added to it that uh, weren't there and they were confused because it didn't look like anything that they were, were in their guides. And when there was a wedding, I think it was either Fergie's wedding or somebody had a wedding here, they asked that all these things that we had added be kept there because uh, it, made, it made the castle look better. So basically Hollywood added a little touch to this castle and um, it was... It, it, we added a, uh, a portcullis that wasn't there, which you'll see later as well. And this was all at Haddon Hall here, where we shot this. And here we're going to be introduced to, to Fezzik and Inigo Montoya and Vincini. We are but poor, lost circus performers. There's Wally Shawn, who's Vincini. Needless to say, he's not Sicilian, but uh, in the... Uh, in the vernacular of this film, it actually worked. And there, of course, is Andre the Giant as, as Fezzik. And again, it wasn't like there was a lot of options in casting this part. It's not like you could throw a stick and, and find 50 giants. 
um, when Bill Goldman um, wrote the book, he had always envisioned Andre the Giant playing Fezzik. And so it took us again weeks to track down Andre because he was traveling around the world as a wrestler. And um, finally, uh, we were able to pin him down and we were uh, accorded a meeting in Paris. And Andy Scheinman and I had just been in a at a location scout to find the cliffs of insanity and we were in Ireland and as we came back to our hotel room in London we walked in there was a message saying Andre would be in Paris the next day at two o'clock we went right back out the hotel right to the airport and we went to Paris we stayed there overnight and then the next day uh, we met uh, Andre we walked into the bar and it's like it's described in the in the in the book there was a landmass sitting on a bar stool and it was Andre the Giant and he was um, you know like I say the only person who could have played this part and I actually recorded his whole dialogue on a tape because he uh, you know didn't read and couldn't you know and he had to memorize it that way and he memorized this whole part that way and then of course Mandy Patinkin as Inigo Montoya, who was absolutely brilliant in this film, um, and uh, I, you know the most quoted line ever. You know anybody is, um, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Prepare to die. So that everybody still quotes that. Kids are still running around with swords, saying, "Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die." Charm. You have a great gift for Ryan. Yes, yes. Some of the time. Enough of that! Fezzik, are there rocks ahead? If they are, we all be dead. No more rhymes now, I mean it! Is it okay that I tell these stories? Is that okay? Okay, because here's a great story about that, that line, which is, um, I once went to a restaurant in New York that Nick Pelleggi and Nora Ephron took me and John Gotti would come there every Thursday night and we at 8 o'clock he walks in there was a group of wise guys with him and I was sitting there and we kind of recognized each other I didn't talk to him but after the meal was over I went outside and there was a huge limousine parked outside and um, there was a man standing in front of her that looked like Luca Brazzi from The Godfather big plug of a guy he looks me right in the eye and said you killed my father prepare to die and I almost I almost you know went in my pants right there but he said I love that picture the princess bride so we know that when when one of Gotti's wise guys is quoting your lines you know you've penetrated the, the culture and no one in Florence could have gotten here so fast Out of curiosity, why do you ask? No reason. Suddenly, I just happened to look behind us and something is there. This uh, sequence was shot uh, in a tank on uh, a soundstage at Shepard and Studios. This, that's a little miniature back there. So it looks, it's a forced perspective to make it look like uh, uh, you're out on the high seas. But it's actually uh, inside a tank, and this was all shot in a tank. I don't swim. I only dog paddle. As a matter of fact, I remember a moment where I was actually out in the tank, which is about three feet of water, and I was in with hip waders, and there's a pit, an eight-foot pit. It's a small area where you can dive into if you have to make a dive, where Robin Wright just did that. Uh, and I was looking for an angle, and I walked around the boat, and I stepped into that hole, and my pants filled up with water, the hip waders filled up with water, and I just started sinking to the bottom, and there was nobody there. <laughs> I couldn't get back up. And finally, I was splashing around. Somebody found me and they dragged me out. So I almost, uh, I almost drowned in the making of this movie.
even inside of a controlled tank. And then this, of course, the shrieking eel we had here was a, a nice effect. And this is one of the things I liked about the, the, the movie and the book is the the idea that we'd break away. And people said, you can't break away from the film like this. Uh, people will lose the, the, the thread of the story. Uh, they won't be able to get reinvolved. And I said, no, I think it's just going to make it, people get more involved. The whole idea of the, the book and the movie was that uh, the Princess Bride was only going to be the good parts version, that we were going to skip past all the boring parts. And so, uh, occasionally, the the, the grab, they, they would interrupt and we'd move forward to another exciting part. But what I love about this is it, it gets this boy who basically is not really interested in reading uh, to be interested and care and excited about reading because his grandfather shares this book with him and um, makes it fun for him. So and and, and it never disturbed the, th the the flow of the picture. I mean, people. Uh, stayed involved and they tracked the relationship between the grandfather and the grandson and then they stayed involved in in the story of the Princess Bride and it was uh, even though we kept reminding the people that it was just a book it was just a story the audience still stayed involved in uh, in what was going to happen with Wesley and Buttercup. What are fish in the same wind we are using? Whoever he is he's too late! See? And there's a matte painting of the Cliffs of Insanity which we used uh, to replicate uh, these cliffs that we found in Ireland called the Cliffs of Moore. And um, part of the shots, this was shot on a soundstage, we had matte paintings, and we also actually used um, the real uh, Cliffs of Moore, which you'll see when we show some shots of them climbing up. An interesting thing is, I mean, we didn't have a lot of money to make the movie. Um, we literally had like $16 million uh, to make this movie. I mean, today, if you made a movie like this, you know, you'd spend 75, 80, 90 million dollars with all this. This is actual, these are the actual uh, Cliffs of Moher in Ireland. That shot was. And here we're back on the tank. That's actual with, uh, that's a stuntman with dummies hanging on him. Uh, then we have matte paintings, a combination of matte paintings. This is done on the stage. That was actually done on the, the cliff there. That was also on the cliff right there. That's making, that's a real cliff. You can see a bird go by. This is, but we're back on the stage here. You were this great legendary thing, and yet he gains. Well, I'm killing three people, and he got only himself. I do not accept excuses. I'm just going to have to find myself a new giant, that's all. Don't say that, Vincent. Please. The, the thing also that I love about this uh, piece of material is that it, 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 it's smart, it's funny, it's satirical, it makes fun of this uh, adventure uh, Robin Hood type genre, but it also is uh, does it with love and with respect. So you can make fun of it at the same time you are honoring the genre and uh, it has humor and it also has action and fun in it. Uh, it combines all these things. It's a brilliant book and a brilliant screenplay and one of the most difficult balances uh, that you can find is to you know, have real excitement, tension, 
uh, like this and then also uh, be able to poke fun at it at the same time is a very hard thing to do. And Bill Goldman strikes that balance perfectly. Um, and uh, hopefully I, I was faithful to that. Now there's a, that was partly on the, the stage and also the, the, a matte painting. That shot looking down at Wesley. You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. He's actually on a piece of uh, he is. rock on the stage, and then we have a matte painting below. Therefore die. You carry her. We'll head straight for the Gilder Frontier. Catch up when he's dead. If he falls, fine. If not, the sword. The other thing that I like is that, uh, um, you know, it's, it's a movie that you, you, adults can enjoy and children can enjoy. And it's very rare when you can share a, 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 an experience with your children and, and both the adults and the children get something out of it. And the adults don't have to be bored. They can sit and have a great time. And the kids are getting, getting it on a different level. I don't mean to be rude, but this is not as easy as it looks, so I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't distract me. Sorry. Thank you. Now, this the sword fight that's going to be coming up uh, soon um, is interesting in that I believe it is the only time in the history of movies where the principal actors are in every single shot where, where there's sword play involved. You know, in many of the Errol Flynn and Basil Rathbone movies, uh, in, the, in, the, in the long shots, they would have uh, stunt doubles and, and uh, expert swordsmen do the sword play. But in this uh, sword uh, fighting sequence coming up, you'll see that it's both Mandy and Carrie doing all the sword play. I mean, there are some physical stunts where they do some flips and those are stuntmen but with the when it comes to the actual sword play uh it's only mandy and carrie and what's especially interesting about it is they're fighting both left-handed and right-handed uh in the sequence and they had to study uh very hard to be able to do that mandy actually worked for almost eight months taking lessons and Carrie worked for about five or six and this sequence was shot uh, towards the end of the movie so even during the making of the movie whenever they had a break they would be working with their uh, Olympic masters and stunt people to um, to wor uh, work on their sword play and also work on designing this sequence and uh, it was uh, a real painstaking uh, effort to, to, to design the sequence and there was a tremendous amount of pressure put on me because uh, as it's described in the script, when they start fighting, um, Bill Goldman said, what you're about to see is the second greatest sword fight in film history. The first greatest is coming up later in the film. So there was a tremendous pressure for me to, to make good on, the, on, on that stage direction. Uh, and so we worked very hard uh, to make it uh, as exciting as possible, make it as fun as possible. 
And uh, like I say, the actual actors are doing the are doing the sword play. And it took us um, ten days to shoot this whole sequence from the time that uh, uh, Mandy pulls Carrie up by the rope, and they have this little scene where um, Mandy uh, explains the history of this sword and the history of uh, the revenge that he is seeking for his father's death. And, um, and he, of course, he explains how he got the scars and how the six-fingered man, uh, Humperdinck, uh, left him with those scars. I love my father. So naturally, I challenge his murderer to a duel. I fail. Six-fingered man lived me alive. But he gave me this. How old were you? I was 11 years old. When I was strong enough, I dedicated my life to the study of fencing. So the next time we meet, I will not fail. I will go up to the six-fingered man and say, hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. You've done nothing but study sword. That line, as I said before, is probably one of the most quoted lines of any film I've ever, I've ever done. Uh, the others would be my mother saying, "I'll have what she's having," in When Harry Met Sally, and uh, uh, Jack Nichols saying, "You can't handle the truth in, in a few good men." But certainly, the line that Mandy just said uh, is probably quoted more than any by kids. And here, here we go into this, this sword fight, and, and not only uh, are they having to, uh, you know, uh, sword fight, but they have to have they have to have dialogue during it, and and the dialogue is wonderful and it's witty and it's so uh, typically Bill Goldman, and uh, th that's what's so great about this, that just the blend of of action and and humor and sophistication and. It's really a delicate balance, and he does it perfectly. You're using Bonetti's defense against me, huh? Here they are. They're both fighting left-handed. Naturally. You must expect me to attack with Capafero. Naturally. But I find that Tibble cancels out Capafero. Don't you? Unless the enemy has a study, he's a gripper. And this is the only moment, this is the one moment, that's a stunt person that did that little flip. But all the sword play is the two of them. Thank you. I've worked hard to become so. I admitted you are better than I am. Then why are you smiling? Because I know something you don't know. And what is that? I am not left-handed. Here's where Mandy switches hands. Now he's fighting right-handed against Carrie's left-handed sword play, which is also difficult, too. You're amazing. I ought to be after 20 years. Oh, there's something I ought to tell you. Tell me. I'm not left-handed either. Now here, Carrie switches hands. Now that again is a stunt person, but that's that's Mandy, and this will be a, a stunt person here for the flip. But like I say, every single frame of the sword fighting is the two of them. No one of consequence? I must know. 
Get used to disappointment. Hey. did we had a stagehand standing by catching the sword and then dropping another sword into his hand but now watch watch what happens here when they switch positions here he switches hands in the middle of it he goes from left-handed to right-handed carrie does kill me quickly I will soon and there you have the second greatest sword fight in movie history the first grade is supposed to come later, but uh, I think this one actually was better than the one that comes later. The one that comes later has a more emotional uh, weight to it because it's it's uh, Inigo Montoya avenging his father's death. So it has all that emotional stuff to it. But this one, I think from a pure technical standpoint, is probably the best. But I put this up against anything you would find in Scaramouche or any other sword fighting movie. My way. Thank you, Vinzini. Which was my way? Pick up one of those rocks, get behind the boulder. In a few minutes, the man in black will come running around the bend. The minute his head is in view, hit it with the rock! My way is not a sportsman, Nick. Now, this next sequence coming up is going to have a, a wrestling match between uh, the man in black and Fezzik. And we figured, well, this is one thing we didn't have to worry about with Andre because, you know, he's a professional wrestler. But what we didn't know is that Andre had a terrible bad back. And it was very hard for him to, uh, there's one, one part of where you'll see where uh, Carrie jumps on Andre's back and holds on to him. And Andre literally couldn't hold him because his back was so bad. We had to devise some ramps. Uh, for uh, Carrie to be walking on uh, to take the weight off of Andre's back. Uh, so even uh, uh, even with a professional wrestler, we had to resort to, to Hollywood tricks in order to make this sequence work. I'll kill you now. Frankly, I think the odds are slightly in your favor at hand fighting. It's not my fault being the biggest and the strongest. I don't even exercise. Are you just fiddling around with me or what? I just want you to feel you're doing well. I hate for people to die on behalf. You're quick. And a good thing, too. Why are you wearing a mask? Were you burned by acid or something like that? Oh, no, it's just they're terribly comfortable. I think everyone will be wearing them in the future. Watch, now he jumps. That's not Andre. That we use as a double because, and now that is Andre, but Carrie doesn't have his weight on. He's actually standing on uh, two ramps that we built. And so it looks like Carrie is actually hanging on him, but he's in, now again, we have a double. So it's not even Andre uh, in those wide shots. Probably shouldn't give that away, but hey, you know, that's why you bought this thing to begin with. To find out all these things, the magician's tricks. 
fighting. Alfred does it. See, that's a double right there. You can see he's even much smaller than, uh, than Andre really is. I'm a what? I do not envy you the headache you will have when you awake. But in the meantime, rest well and dream of larger women. Love that line, dream of larger women. Look at that nice little flip he does with the sword. I love that they carry out of those little things. Chris Sarandon did a good job with Humperdinck. And my good buddy Chris Guest, you'll see here, is Count Rugen, the six-fingered man. There's a good story about that in that Chris disappears so completely into his parts that I remember at a, uh, a party after a screening that we had in Los Angeles, we were all at a restaurant sitting around, you know, talking, and uh, Robin Wright was there, and uh, Bill Goldman, and a lot of people from the movie were there. Uh, and Chris was sitting there, and for a second I was wondering, I said, it's nice that Chris would come and, uh, to this party as a supportive friend, what a nice thing for him to do, and I realized he was in the movie. I mean, he loses himself, he, he completely immerses himself in a part to the point where I even forget that he's uh, an actor in the movie, but he's so good. And it is down to me. And coming up is one of my favorite sequences in the movie, the, the, uh, the duel of the battle of wits. There's nothing uh, You're trying to kid the uh, the tortured logic that Bill Goldman comes up with as to why uh, Wally Shawn as Vincini should or should not pick uh, which goblet is just you know it's masterful, it's it's brilliant and it's funny and and he winds up with this wonderfully hip anachronistic line which is you know. Uh, let me put it this way. I've the famous, one of the most famous thing is never, never get involved in a land war in Asia, which uh, it's like, it's a great, a great comment on, on the Vietnam War that's thrown into the middle of this film. To the death, I accept. Good, then pour the wine. Here we got the Iocane powder. Odal is tasteless, dissolves instantly. I smell nothing. What you do not smell is called Iocane powder. It is odorless, tasteless, dissolves instantly in liquid. And is this was actually the first sequence we shot uh, with Wally Shawn. And uh, he was so good in it, in this, uh, but he was so nervous about his performance that he was totally convinced after we finished the day's shooting, that I was going to replace him. <laughs> I don't know why, but he, he's so funny in it. I mean, clearly he's not Sicilian, but like I say, it works so perfectly in this, in this film. The Battle of Wits has you know, it was just this kind of wacky casting where he was, because he, he is extremely intelligent. He's a very brilliant guy, and Vincini had to be the mastermind. He was the mastermind for the, for the, for the, uh, the three bad guys. And he had all the wit and intelligence and uh, 
I love that kind of sort of lateral lisp that he had, and it just, uh, it seemed right. Not a great fool, so I can clearly not choose the wine in front of you. But you must have known I was not a great fool. You would have counted on it, so I can clearly not choose the wine in front of me. You've made your decision then? <laughs> not remotely, because Iocane comes from Australia, as everyone knows. And Australia is entirely peopled with criminals. And criminals are used to having people not trust them as you are not trusted by me, so I can clearly not choose the wine in front of you. Truly, you have a dizzying intellect. Wait till I get going! Where was I? Australia. Yes, Australia. And you must have suspected I would have known the powder's origin, so I can clearly not choose the wine in front of me. You're just stalling now. You'd like to think that, wouldn't you? You've beaten my giant, which means you're exceptionally strong. So you could have put the poison in your own goblet, trusting on your strength to save you. So I can clearly not choose the wine in front of you. But you've also bested my Spaniard, which means you must have studied. And in studying, you must have learned that man is mortal. So you would have put the poison as far from yourself as possible. So I can clearly not choose the wine in front of me. You're trying to trick me into giving away something. It won't work. It has worked. Adding that little mustache to carry also was a great touch. That was his idea. And, uh, you know, it, it makes him, it, it gives him that Douglas Fairbanks swashbuckling flair. It's a perfect little touch. What's so funny? I'll tell you in a minute. Also, as you'll notice later, we take the uh, license that uh, that Buttercup would not recognize his voice, or later when he when she sees him uh, with a mask on that she doesn't recognize that it's Wesley from the farm. Uh, it's that license that you're allowed to, which was established by uh, Superman, uh, which uh, the mere adding of glasses would uh, all of a sudden turn Superman into Clark Kent and completely confuse Lois Lane. Uh, and we all accepted that reality that uh, um, that they look completely different, Clark Kent and Superman. So here we have Wesley and the Man in Black. Even though we've added the, the just added the the mask, you know, we accept that he's completely uh, somebody else. And there's that great moment where Wally Schoen keels over. My kids laugh every time they see that. So I know it has to be good. I'm no one to be trifled with. That is all you ever need know. Think. All that time it was Shawcup that was poisoned. They were both poisoned. I spent the last few years building up an immunity to Iocane powder. Someone has beaten a giant. There will be great suffering in Gilder if she dies. We shot this at a place called Higger Tor. I remember that name, don't ask me why. But uh, it was a bit of a trek to get to. And um, when you watch a movie, you never think about, um, you know, the fact that behind uh, the camera here, there are, there are trucks and equipment trucks and all kinds of things. And it was very hard to find places to park things around here. So, um, you know, we had to cart things up manually and with, you know, four wheel, you know, four wheelers and um, it was, uh, it was difficult, but it was a great location and it gave that kind of storybook feel to it. He knows I do not love him. I'm not capable of love is what you mean. I have loved more deeply than a killer like yourself could ever dream. That was a warning, Highness. 
The next time my hand flies on its own, for where I come from, there are penalties when a woman lies. Hi, okay. I bet my life on it. And there are the princess's footprints. She is alive, or was an hour ago. She is otherwise when I find her. I shall be very put out. Rest, Highness. I know who you are. You're I'm here if you'll notice. Carrie, when he walks, he's kind of he's walking kind of gingerly. He had virtually almost broken his ankle the day a couple of days before we shot this. He was riding around on some kind of uh, like dune buggy kind of thing, and it flipped over and uh, hurt himself. But you'll see, you know, he said, uh, "No, I can do it. I can do it." And you'll notice he's walking. He he walked on. He was in such pain when he was doing this. Watch, you'll see. He keeps his foot, his, his weight off that one foot there when he put it up, and he made himself look elegant and suave when he when he sat down there. But he actually couldn't put any weight on that foot. On the high seas. It's amazing how many things you can remember when you watch a movie. It's like it's like um, home movies for me because I remember, uh, you know, more than anything what was happening on a day when you shot something. Uh, and it brings back those memories. Uh, so when any time I see a movie of mine that I've made come on the screen to watch it on television, it's always like watching home movies for me. You can see he's walking kind of gingerly. Does it bother you to hear? And it was also freezing cold up there when we shot that. He died well. That should please you. No bribe attempts or blubbering. He simply said, please. Please, I need to live. It was the please that caught my memory. I asked him what was so important for him here. True love, he replied. And then he spoke of a girl of surpassing beauty and faithfulness. I can only assume he meant you. You should bless me for destroying him before he found out what you really are. And what am I? Faithfulness he talked of, madam, your enduring faithfulness. Now tell me truly, when you found out he was gone, did you get engaged to your prince that same hour, or did you wait a whole week out of respect for the dead? You mocked me once, never do it again! I died that day! You can die too, for all I care! This sequence is one of my favorites. We have, now these are stunt doubles, obviously, rolling down the hill, but the whole idea of uh, people uh, reuniting in this manner, uh, two people just crazily rolling down a hill uh, who are falling back in love with each other. It's just such a wonderful kind of anti-romantic, then wonderfully romantic way of bringing them back together again. In, which might account for his panicking and error. Unless I'm wrong, and I'm never wrong. Look at the look Chris does when he says fire swamp. Oh, he's scared. He doesn't, know, he doesn't want to go into that fire swamp. Can you move at all? Move? You're alive. If you want, I can fly. I told you I would always come for you. Why didn't you wait for me? Well, you were dead. 
Death cannot stop true love. All it can do is delay it for a while. I will never doubt again. There will never be a need. Oh, no. And this was perfect because just when they start kissing, that's when the little boy uh, would not want to hear this part. And so he wants to skip past the kissing parts and get to the action. And that's what's so much fun about this. That sounded good. Oh. You're sick, I'll humor you. Oh, okay. Wesley and Buttercup raced along the ravine floor. And now they're going to start heading into the fire swamp. And um, as you'll see when we get into it, this was built on uh, sound stages at uh, Shepard and Studios. That's uh, all those trees in there are actually matte paintings put in there. But here's the fire swamp. And we shot this. This was the first sequence we shot in the film. And on the first day of shooting, as you'll see, uh, Buttercup's dress catches on fire. And uh, we literally lit our first lady, uh, leading lady, on, uh, on fire the first day of the shoot. It's not that bad. Well, I'm not saying I'd like to build a summer home here, but the trees are actually quite lovely. I think this was, yeah, like I said, it was early on in the shoot, and Bill Goldman um, actually was on the set for these few days. He came to the first few days of the shoot, and I noticed, um, you know, while the take was going on, he'd uh, be like having his, he'd have his back to the action, and he'd have his thumbs in his mouth, and his arms were folded, and I was saying, what are you doing? And he said, this is the way I, uh, you know, uh, it's like crossing your fingers. I'm like hoping for good luck that, we'll do, that this will work out okay. I've never met anybody as brilliant and as talented and as superstitious as Bill Goldman. But uh, maybe he was right. Maybe he was smart to put his thumbs in his mouth because uh, uh, it worked out pretty good. Well, one thing I will say, that swamp certainly does keep you on your toes. This will all soon be but a happy memory. This Robert ship revenge is anchored at the far end. And I, as you know, am Roberts. But how's that possible, since he's been marauding 20 years and you only left me five years ago? I myself am often surprised at life's little quirks. What I told you before about saying please was true. It intrigued Roberts. And you'll see coming up uh, in a little while, you'll have the uh, ROUSs, the rodents of unusual size. All right, Wesley. Never had a valet. I can try it tonight. We had actually two uh, little people that were uh, doing this. They were dressed up in these uh, big rat suits. And um, one of them could go very fast. One of them was good just moseying and kind of sniffing around, and the other one uh, could actually move pretty fast in the, uh, in, the, in the costume. Roberts had grown so rich, he wanted to retire. So he took me to his cabin, told me his secret. I am not the Dread Pirate Roberts, he said. My name is Ryan. I inherited the ship from the previous Dread Pirate Roberts, just as you will inherit it from me. The man I inherited from was not the real Dread Pirate Roberts either. His name was Cummerbund. The real Roberts has been retired 15 years and living like a king in Patagonia. 
Thank you. Then he explained that the name was the important thing for inspiring the necessary fear. You see, no one would surrender to the Dread Pirate Wesley. So we sailed ashore, took on an entirely new crew, and he stayed aboard for a while as first mate, all the time calling me Roberts. And once the crew believed, I, he left the ship, and I have been Roberts ever since. Except now that we're together, I shall retire and hand the name over to someone else. Is everything clear to you? And you'll see that she's going to go into the uh, snow sand here. And we rigged a thing underneath the uh, stage where you could fall through, and there was a little trapdoor thing underneath. But it required a, a really difficult thing. This stuntman did this, but carry because in other when you got right under the scene, you have to tuck under to to avoid hitting all these pipes and wires and things that were underneath. And Carrie, of course, wanted to do it himself. Did it the first time, he just stuck with his head in the sand and we had to pull him out of there. And then we said, please, Carrie, let's let the stunt man do this. See, that's the, the one guy who could kind of sniff and, and walk away. He was fine. And then you'll see later when the uh, action happens that we, we knew we needed uh, a more energetic ROUS. fight scene that's coming up with the R.O.U.S.'s, the sounds that you hear coming out of the R.O.U.S.'s were actually made by me. I actually uh, looped all of those sounds. Uh, we put it through harmonizers and we double uh, recorded them and uh, added all kinds of effects to it, but essentially the, um, the bass sound was mine. Uh, and uh, I did it the first time I did it, um, they didn't they forgot to push the record button and i com almost completely lost my voice doing it uh, and was so upset that they had to do it over again because i it was so hoarse after doing but all this that's all stuff that i actually added myself so the voice of the rus is yours truly Thank <laughs> you. 
This is the one sequence that I've heard little kids sometimes get a little freaked out over. But by and large, you can watch this with kids almost any age, and that's one of the things I love about it. We did it. Now they've come out of the fire swamp, and coming up, uh, you're going to see the encounter between Wesley and the Six-Fingered Man, and uh, there's a moment where he gets conked on the head by the, uh, the, the butt of the sword from the Six-Fingered Man, and he actually... Uh, Carrie said, no, hit me, hit me, it's okay. And Chris accidentally hit him on the head and he had to go to the hospital. Harry, Carrie had to go to the hospital that day. We had to stop for the afternoon while Carrie had his cut attended to. You'll see when it happens, but you don't see any blood. It will not happen. For the last time, surrender. Death first. Will you promise not to hurt him? What was that? What was that? If we surrender and I'd return with you. Will you promise not to hurt this man? May I live a thousand years and never hunt again. He is a sailor on the pirate ship Revenge. Promise to return him to his ship. I swear it will be done. Once we're out of sight, take him back to Florin and throw him in the pit of despair. I swear it will be done. I thought you were dead once, and it almost destroyed me. I could not bear it if you died again. Not when I could save you. Come, sir. We must get you to your ship. We are men of action. Lies do not become us. Well spoken, sir. There's the six-fingered man. What is it? You have six fingers on your right hand. Someone Here comes the sword. Punk, you don't see it. He went to the hospital <laughs> with that shot. And now here we've got, um, in the book, uh, Wesley has to go through the zoo of death, but uh, in uh, in service of a of a limited budget, uh, we created the pit of despair, which is not in the book, but it was a lot uh, cheaper and a lot more contained, and uh, it almost did the job of the zoo of death. Although the zoo of death is great in the book, if you read the book, it's it's terrific. This is a wonderful English comedian named Mel Smith playing the albino. Where am I? The pit of despair. Don't even think... <coughs> Don't even think about trying to escape. The chains are far too thick. I love that joke. It's such a cheesy joke, but it's great. You know, the pit of despair. And then he clears his throat, and of course he can talk normally. Then I'm here till I die? Till I kill you, yeah. First time I heard that joke, my father said it was done. I was a it was a bit about a, a train conductor going, uh, calling the next stop for the train, and we going connectedy, connectedy, and nobody could understand it. And then he would go <coughs> schenectedy, and it was like that was. It. And Chris Guest used to do that same joke. It was the Indians uh, going around the uh, campfire and doing the war dance, and they'd go 
They go, <clears throat> hey, uh, hey, uh, hey. It was, it's, it's the same joke, so basically it's been around, but it worked good in, in this sequence. She's been like that ever since. Now, what this brings up is so ridiculous. I don't even want to, I don't even, it's worth mentioning. But there was, we shot this at the, on a stage at Shepparton, and there was a, a fire guard, because we had these torches that were lit in the castle. And the, uh, the, the fire guard, uh, fireman, was a guy that looked just like Captain Kangaroo. Uh, it was a British guy, but he looked exactly like Captain Kangaroo. And every time Chris and I would walk by him, we'd go, which is the theme song for Captain Kangaroo. This guy had no idea why we were humming that, but of course, for us, that was, uh, you know, kept us going. Fair. Well, who says life is fair? Where is that written? Life isn't always fair. I'm telling you, you're messing up the story. Now get it right. Do you want me to go on with this? Yes. All right, then. No more interruptions. At noon, she met her subjects again, this time as their queen. My father's final words were, love her as I loved her, and there will be joy. I present to you your queen. There's the courtyard of Haddon Hall. Buttercup. Why do you do this? Because you had love in your hands, and you gave it up. But they would have killed Wesley if I hadn't done it. Your true love lives, and you marry another. True love saved her in the fire swamp, and she treated it like garbage. And that's what she is, the queen of refuse. So bow down to her if you want. Bow to her. Bow to the queen of slime, the queen of filth, the queen of putrescence. Boo! Boo! Rubbish, filth, slime, muck. Boo! 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 It was ten days till the wedding. The king still lived, but Buttercup's nightmares were growing steadily worse. See? Didn't I tell you she'd never marry that rotten humperdink? Yes, you're very smart. Shut up. It comes to this. I love Wesley. I always have. I know now I always... This was an actual um, room inside Haddon Hall that we shot in. And one of the strangest things in doing a, a film like this is you, here you are shooting a, a sequence in a place that was built in 1086. And to imagine what was going on uh, back then, uh, and there would be obviously no way they could imagine that, you know, almost, you know, 900 years later, that there would be a movie company in there filming, uh, you know, a sequence. I mean, the, the, the surreality of it all was, was uh, palpable for me. And at one point, Chris Guest and myself and Mandy Patinkin 
uh, got inside this room, actually, the room that, we're sh that we were seeing here, had a great echo and a great sound to it, and we started harmonizing an old doo-wop song. Uh, what's your name? Is it Mary or Sue? What's your name? That song. And we all harmonized that, and I, and I thought, well, this is bizarre. I mean, here's these guys harmonizing this song in a place where, you know, people were, you know, eating and throwing, you know, uh, turkey legs over their shoulders and dogs were, you know, he, I mean, it just, the whole idea of it was just amazing to me. You have to step back every once in a while and, uh, and think about what you're doing and where you are in the world, because this was a place, like I say, was from 1086. This we built also. Uh, no, this was actually uh, a place called uh, Burnham Beaches, which was a, um, it's a, it's a wonderful medieval type forest that's uh, right next to Heathrow Airport. And every 30 seconds you'd have a plane go over, which was, made it tough to film, but it's a, it's a great location. And we added our own, a few of our own trees into the existing tree. You know, there's, not, there's no tree that has a door that opens like that at Burnham Beaches. At least we couldn't find one, so we... Tyrone, you know how much I love watching you work, but I've got my country's 500th anniversary to plan, my wedding to arrange, my wife to murder, and Gilda to frame for it. I'm swamped. Get some rest. If you haven't got your health... Again, this beautiful tone that Bill Goldman strikes with this dialogue is just great. And I loved uh, the art department and their inventiveness in coming up with this, um, this what's called the machine, and it basically sucks the life out of you. I mean, the idea of these suction cups hooked up to a, uh, a water wheel as a torture device is, uh, to me, it was very inventive and funny. How the machine makes you feel. This being our first try, I'll use the lowest setting. This is a scene where, where I'm talking about how Chris completely gets lost in a part. Um, you know, he's, he's so brilliant in every movie he does, but like I say, he's so immersed that you, he loses himself and there's no, you don't know where Chris, you know, can't find Chris Guess anymore. Only the characters there. As you know, the concept of the suction pump is centuries old. Really, that's all this is, except that instead of sucking water, I'm sucking life. I've just sucked one year of your life away. I might one day go as high as five, but I really don't know what that would do to you. So let's just start with what we have. What did this do to you? Tell me. And remember, this is for posterity, so be honest. How do you feel? <laughs> Interesting. Gillian. Sire. <laughs> 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 
that little moment was nice that that actor added. That's always what's great when you're making a film. You have really talented, creative actors. They give you little moments and things that, you know, you don't think of and makes you look good. Any word from Wesley? Too soon, my angel. Patience. He will come for me. Of course. She will not be murdered. On the day of the wedding, I want the thieves' forest emptied and every inhabitant arrested. Many of the thieves will resist. My regular enforcers will be inadequate. Form a brute squad, then! I want the thieves' forest emptied before I wed. It won't be easy, sir. Try ruling the world sometime. Here we are back at Burnham Beach as we created the, uh... The Thieves' Forest. Is everybody out? Almost. There's a Spaniard giving us some trouble. Will you give him some trouble? Move. I am waiting for you, Vicini. And here we have Mandy again. He was so brilliant in this movie. Um, I can't imagine anybody else playing a part. This is where I'll stay. I will not be moved. Hold there! I don't know, Budge. Keep your hold there. But the prince gave orders. Sorry, Vicini. When the job went wrong, you went back to the beginning. Well, this is where we got the job. So is the beginning. And I am staying till Vicini come. You brute! Come here! I am waiting for... They say Look at the size of Andre's hands. This is my favorite little moment. They put those, he's checking his thumb against Andre's thumb to see if it's really physic. Mm. Ah! Doesn't look so good. You don't smell so good either. Perhaps not. I feel fine. Yeah. Fezzik and Inigo were reunited, and as Fezzik nursed his inebriated friend back to health, he told Inigo of Vizzini's death and the existence of Count Rugen, the six-fingered man. Considering Inigo's lifelong search, he handled the news surprisingly well. Fezzik took great care When I auditioned Andre for this part, I gave him a scene that was only three pages long. And he read it, and um, I asked him, he was obviously perfect for the part, and I, and I said to him, you know, because uh, he, he had never been in more than, uh, in one place more than two weeks at a time because of his wrestling, I said, you know, this is going to require you to be, uh, you know, uh, working on this film for 15 weeks is a long shoot. I mean, you have to be there 15 weeks. And he just thought that he was going to, for 15 weeks, he was going to do that three-page scene. He didn't understand that there was a, a lot of scenes in the script that he had to do. And I said, no, no, there's a lot for you to do. It's going to take a while. And so he says, no, I, I'd do it. I could do it, boss. I'd do it. I said, okay. I need the man in black. What? Look, he bested you with strength, your greatness. He bested me with steel. He must have outthought Vicini. And a man who can do that can plan my castle onslaught any day. Let's go. Where? 
Find the men in black, obviously. Well, you don't know where he is. Don't bother me with trifles. After 20 years, at last my father's soul will be at peace. There will be blood tonight. Rise and report. The thief's forest is emptied. 30 men guard the castle gate. Double it. My princess must be safe. The gate has but one key. And I carry that. Ah, my dulcet darling. Tonight we marry. Tomorrow morning, your men will escort us to Florin Channel. It's amazing when you watch a Robin Wright's performance because this is a girl who um, grew up in, was born in Texas and grew up in the San Fernando Valley of California. And she's got this perfect way of carrying herself and she's got this perfect English accent and um, she's just, and she's so beautiful and uh, I can't imagine anybody else that could have done this. Doesn't matter. Wesley will come for me anyway. You're a silly girl. Yes, I am a silly girl. For not having seen sooner that you were nothing but a coward with a heart full of fear. I would not say such things if I were you. Why not? You can't hurt me. Wesley and I are joined by the bonds of love. And you cannot track that. Not with a thousand bloodhounds. And you cannot break it. Not with a thousand swords. And when I say you are a coward, that is only because you are the slimiest weakling ever to crawl the earth. I would not say such things if I were you. Here we are back in the pit of despair truly love each other and so you might have been truly happy not one couple in a century has that chance no matter what the storybooks say and so I think no man in a century will suffer as greatly as you will Doctor 50 That light right there on the castle uh, just happened to be there when we shot that shot. We got very lucky. There were clouds all around and then the sun poked through and it was almost like the castle got its own key light and we were lucky to get that shot. His true love is marrying another tonight. So who else has the cause for ultimate suffering? Excuse me. Pardon me, it's important. Where's the man in black? You get that from this grove, yes? Now, the sequence coming up where uh, Mandy uh, prays for his father to help him find the man in black uh, was a really difficult sequence to shoot. This uh, speech right here, um, not because it was tough for Mandy, but because we had, see the smoke behind him, and we had this camera move, 
And like I say, literally every 10 to 15, 20 seconds, we'd have a plane going over at Heathrow Airport. Uh, so to get a good performance from Mandy, to get the camera move like that, and to get the, you know, the, the halo kind of effect with the light behind him uh, was a tough, tough thing to pull off. But Mandy was incredibly patient. He stood there and did it. His performance was great every time. He did it 20 times in a row, and every time he was perfect. But we had you know, technical problems, and finally we got one or two that were, that were good. Grandpa, Grandpa, wait, wait. What did Fezzik mean he's dead? I mean, he didn't mean dead. Well, he's only faking, right? You want me to read this or not? Who gets Humperdinck? I don't understand. Who kills Prince Humperdinck? At the end, somebody's got to do it. Is it Inigo who? Nobody. Nobody kills him. He lives. You mean he wins? Jesus, Grandpa, what did you read me this thing for? You know, you, you've been very sick, and you're taking this story very seriously. There's the hat, if you see it in the background. It's up on that light. No, that okay. little, the hat that Mark Knopfler asked that I put on the set. Okay. All right, now. Isn't that weird? Where were we? Oh, yeah. In the pit of despair. Well, the Montoyas have never taken defeat easily. Come along, Fezzik, bring the body. The body? Have you any money? I have a little. I just hope it's enough to buy a miracle. That's all. Here we have one of my favorite sequences in the whole film, and that's the sequence with Miracle Max. And Billy Crystal is just absolutely... Incredible in this this performance. He's funny. He had his own ideas. He had his own lines. This thing about the paper cut. Why don't you give me a nice paper cut and pour lemon juice on it? We're closed. That was his line. Um, but the character is is a Bill Goldman character that's kind of loosely uh, kind of taken from Mel Brooks's Two Thousand Year Old Man, and uh, Billy was absolutely so much fun to work with and. Um, it was just the right piece of uh, comic acting right here at the movie at, the, at this point in the movie, and he's just absolutely great. I've seen worse. Sonny, you rush a miracle, man, you get rotten miracles. You got money? 65. Sheesh. I never worked for so little, except once, and that was a very noble cause. 
This is noble, sir. His wife is crippled. His children are on the brink of starvation. Are you a rotten liar? I need him to help avenge my father. Murdered these 20 years. Your first story was better. Where's that bellows cram? He probably owes you money, huh? Well, I'll ask him. He's dead. He can't talk. Look who knows so much, huh? Well, it just so happens that your friend here is only mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Please open his mouth. Now, mostly dead, he's slightly alive. Now, all dead, well, with all dead, there's usually only one thing that you can do. What's that? Go through his clothes and look for loose change. so important. What you got here, that's worth living for. True love. True love, you heard him? You could not ask for a more noble cause than that. Yes, honey. True love is the greatest thing in the world. Except for a nice MLT, a mutton lettuce and tomato sandwich when the mutton is nice and lean and the tomato is ripe. It's so perky. I love that. But that's not what he said. He distinctly said... That's all Billy stuff. Mutton, lettuce, and tomato sandwich. And look for loose change, all of those things. Liar! Things that he added, and that's, that's what's so great working with him. And then, of course, here's Carol Kane, who plays the perfect nagging wife. And they were, they were great together. She took, I think, seven or eight hours to get to makeup every day. By the time we got her into makeup, she had to go home for, for her to go home. But they, they were great together. expiring, and you don't have the decency to say why you won't help. Nobody's here, nothing. This is Buttercup's true love. If you heal him, he will stop Humperdinck's wedding. Shut I make him bear the Humperdinck suffers? Humiliations galore. <laughs> I did a lick bell day nation. That is a noble cause. Give me the 65. I'm on the job. That's a miracle pill. It is the miracle pill. Looks like a Godiva chocolate. But this is also a great Billy line. Give it an hour, a good hour. Thank you for everything. Okay. Bye-bye, boys. Have fun storming the castle. Think it'll work? It would take a miracle. Bye-bye. Inigo, it's more than 30. What's the difference? We've got him. Help me here. We'll have to uh, and you also have to really appreciate Carrie L. West's performance. I mean, here's this great-looking young man who uh, is a wonderful actor, and he has a great sense of uh, comedy timing, but he's also great physically. Um, this whole next sequence, when he plays this, you know, almost dead, mostly dead person with a flopping and the moving around. I mean, it's so rare that you could find 
um, an actor who looks like this, who is so physically adept and has such great comedy timing. Why am I on this wall? Where's Buttercup? Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. Buttercup is marrying Humperdinck in a little less than half an hour. So all we have to do is get in, break up the wedding, steal the princess, make our escape. After I kill Count Rugen. It doesn't need much time for dilly-dallying. You just wiggle your finger. That's wonderful. I've always been a quick eater. What are our liabilities? There is but one work in Castlegate. And it is guarded by 60 men. And our assets? Your brains. Fez's strength. I steal. That's it? Impossible. If I had a month to plan, maybe I could come up with something but this. You just shook your head. That doesn't make you happy? My brains. His steel and your strength against 60 men, and you think a little head jiggle is supposed to make me happy? Hmm? I mean, if we only had a wheelbarrow, that would be something. Where do we put the wheelbarrow of the albino head? Over the albino, I think. Why didn't you list that among our assets in the first place? <sighs> what I wouldn't give for a Holocaust cloak. There we cannot help you. What this do? How did you get that? I'd make all maxes. If it's so nice, I could keep it. All right, all right. Come on, help me out. Now, I need a sword. One of my favorite shots in the movie. It's pretty, and you see that English countryside back there. Thank you. Now, there may be problems once we're inside. I'll say. How do I find the Count? Once I do, how do I find you again? Once I find you again, how do we escape? Tempesta is out of our day. Right. Right. Sorry. Here go. What? I hope we win. You don't seem excited, my little muffin. Should I be? Brides often are, I'm told. I do not marry tonight. My Wesley will save me. My favorite performances. This is uh, Peter Cook, uh, who was originally with Beyond the Fringe, and he and Dudley Moore uh, were partners for many years together. One of the most brilliant uh, British comedians, and um, it's one of my favorite moments in the movie. Marriage. You just have. No way to know that when that man opens his mouth, that this is the way he's going to talk. Marriage, that blessed arrangement, that dream within a dream. Stand your ground, men. Stand your ground. Of course, here we have the dread pirate Roberts, replete with his Holocaust cloak. There will be no survivor. No? Not yet. My men are here. I'm here. But soon you will not be here. No! Light him. 
This is as low-tech as it gets when it comes to special effects. Uh, we, like I say, we didn't have much money to work with, but it works because it's funny and uh, it serves the story. We'll follow you forever. The Dwayne Parrot Robert is here for you. Like I say, this portcullis that you see here, this was added uh, to the existing castle, and from what I understand, they, uh, they decided to keep it. Give us the gate key. Take his arms off. Oh, you mean this gate key? Under you, Princess Bahwa. Man and wife. Say man and wife. Man and wife. Escort the bride to the honeymoon suite. I'll be there shortly. He didn't come. This coming up is one of the my favorite sequences in the whole movie. Here you've got these three people who are trying to storm the castle and save the day. And the leader is the guy who's nodding his head in which direction they should go, can, can barely stand, can't really walk. And he's the one that's, he's their leader. And this is a great little bit of sword play that you see coming up. Of course, one of the great fake outs and funny moments in the movie comes after it, but this little bit of swordplay where he dispatches four people in one swoop. And then this unexpected moment, which gets one of the biggest laughs when it's played in a theater. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. And he just runs. In this whole chase through the castle, we used um, sets on a stage, which this was, and then we cut to uh, existing um, actual rooms in, in, in two or three different castles. so kind to me and I won't be seeing you again since I'm killing myself once we reach the honeymoon suite. Wouldn't that be nice? Hmm? She kissed me! <laughs> this was an actual castle. I think this was Penshurst Castle.
back on the set. say this was described in the in the script as the greatest sword fight in film history now technically it probably isn't but like i say the emotion of of what's underneath all this makes it a really good scene i mean it's after all these years 20 years he's been tracking this guy only to get uh, knifed in the stomach and then you'll see and we all know that he uh is able to fight through that pain and and uh, emerge victorious There's a shortage of perfect breasts in this world. It would be a pity to damage yours. Wesley! Oh, Wesley, darling! Wesley, why won't you hold me? Gently. At a time like this, that's all you can think to say. Gently. You gotta admit, these are two of the better-looking humans on the planet. They're totally storybook in the, in the way they look. And uh, aside from the fact that they're terrific actors, and here we have uh, Inigo regrouping and pushing through the pain, and this is one of my one of the favorite scenes in the whole film. You've got an overdeveloped sense of vengeance. It's going to get you into trouble someday. Mandy just casually deflects the sword, even though he's being stabbed. And he just summons the strength. His performance in this is just magnificent. And my father, prepared to die. Hello. My name is Diego Montoya. You killed my father, prepared to die. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Stop saying that! theater. You know the story's working when that happens. Oh, Wesley, will you ever forgive me? What hideous sin have you committed lately? I got married. I didn't want to. It all happened so fast. Never happened. What? Never happened. 
But it did. I was there. This old man said man and wife. Did you say I do? Oh, no. Sort of skipped that part. Then you're not married. You didn't say it. You didn't do it. Wouldn't you agree, Your Highness? A technicality that will shortly be remedied. But first things first. To the death. No! To the pain. I don't think I'm quite familiar with that phrase. I'll explain, and I'll use small words so that you'll be sure to understand, you warthog-faced buffoon. That may be the first time in my life a man has dared insult me. It won't be the last. To the pain means the first thing you lose will be your feet below the ankles. Then your hands at the wrists. Next, your nose. And then my tongue, I suppose. I killed you too quickly the last time. A mistake I don't mean to duplicate tonight. I wasn't finished. The next thing you lose will be your left eye, followed by your right. And then my ears, I understand. Let's get on with it. Wrong! Your ears you keep, and I'll tell you why. So that every shriek of every child at seeing your hideousness will be yours to cherish. Every babe that weeps at your approach, every woman who cries out, Dear God, what is that thing? will echo in your perfect ears. That is what the pain means. It means I leave you in anguish wallowing in freakish misery forever. I think you're bluffing. It's possible, pig. I might be bluffing. It's conceivable, you miserable, vomitous mass. But I'm only lying here because I lack the strength to stand. But then again, perhaps I have the strength after all. Yeah, this is a great moment where he bluffs him, totally bluffs him. He just has enough strength to stand, but he has no strength for nothing but that and totally bluffs him here. Drop your sword. Have a seat. Time up. Make it as tight as you like. Oh! Where's the first thing? I thought he was with you. No. In that case, mm -hmm. help him. Why does Wesley need helping? Because he has no strength. I knew it. I knew you were bluffing. I knew he was bluffing. Shall I dispatch him? That's a great shot, just the, the pulchritude in that shot. The level of pulchritude. There's a bit coming up where uh, Princess Buttercup jumps out the window and Fezzik has to catch her. And again, we had such problems with Fezzik with um, Andre's back. We had to rig a thing where we dropped her just from out of frame and we put him on a slant board so he'd be leaning backwards so there would be no strain on his back when he catches her. Because we tried it and uh, and it was just too hard for him. And there's a uh, the wide shot was a stunt guy. See there, there you have it. You can actually even see it. There's a little board up there if you don't if you look carefully. You know, it's very strange. 
I have been in the revenge business so long. Now that it's over, I don't know what to do with the rest of my life. Have you ever considered piracy? You make a wonderful Dread Pirate Roberts. We have this great, wonderful moment where the four heroes ride out on the four white horses. And as dawn arose, Wesley and Buttercup knew they were safe. A wave of love swept over them. And as they reached for each other... And I love this moment because now the boy is so hooked into the book that he even wants to hear uh, the kissing part at the end. And it's so sweet. Okay. Since the invention of the kiss, there have been five kisses that were rated the most passionate, the most pure. This one left them all behind. The end. Now I think. And coming up is the only shot we shot in Los Angeles. We did one pickup shot of. Peter Falk saying, as you wish, a close-up of him saying, as you wish, at the door. And we shot that in Los Angeles. The only shot in the whole film that was not shot in, in England. Hello. Grandpa? And that's it. Maybe you could come over and read it again to me tomorrow. That shot? As you wish. And now we're back in England again. And the song at the end um, was written by Willie DeVille and uh, it got nominated for an Academy Award. And uh, it was the only Academy Award nomination we got for the movie. And I like these kind of credits at the end. Um, it's their old fashioned. Um, the old days they used to do these, what they would call curtain call type credits, where you know the actors would be shown in a bit of the movie and they'd put their names and characters' names and their real names in there. And I just kind of like this. For this type of movie, it just felt so appropriate to have these kind of curtain call type credits. Well, as of What's today's date? As of January 24th, 2001, these were the thoughts that I had on The Princess Bride. Call me in 10 years, maybe there'll be others. Have fun storming the castle.